0: I'm going to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I hope you'll follow me there. Turning your copy of the scriptures, if you would please, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Things God does not know. Things God does not know is the name of the series that we're in for the rest of this month. Uh, before we begin a series in the summer uh, on the church that will involve many guest speakers that I'm personally very, very, very excited to hear from. Uh, guest speakers meaning people who are not from this body, but also we're uh, having people from this body that perhaps uh, on staff and just within the body that we don't typically hear from on a Sunday morning, at least not very often, or perhaps I uh, haven't heard from at all. So I'm excited for how the Lord will use them as they open God's Word for us. But no guest speaker today, you are stuck with me. And the title of our sermon is... God knows no other way to grow spiritually but in his church. God knows no other way to grow spiritually but in his church. What do you think that means? I mean, there are lots of ways to grow spiritually, right? I mean, I can grow spiritually from reading good books that are sound theologically. I I can grow spiritually from serving someone I find undesirable for some reason or from stepping out in faith and doing a, a good deed of sorts that I wouldn't have done before but is doing it as unto the Lord. I can look at the sky and see that Psalm 19 really rings true, that the heavens really do proclaim the glory of God and the skies show me the work of His hands. There's many different ways we can grow spiritually. Isn't it a bit much to say that God knows no other way to grow spiritually but in his church? Well, we're not talking about our personal experiences. We want to always take our personal experiences and throw them up against the big, mighty, great, immovable, powerful, all-knowing word God. And what we're talking about today is not, do you and I grow by other means? Surely there's many things that God can bless and cause growth to come about in our lives. But we're talking about what does the Word of God say? And the Word of God shows us in no uncertain terms uh, just how important the local church is. It's an indisputable fact. You need to know that. Now, I'm not seeking to make a pitch ...for the church. You say, well, yeah, pastor. I mean, you would say that, pastor. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, tongue in cheek. You, you would say that the local church is a pretty important uh, thing in the Bible. I mean, you have a lot of skin in the game. But I'm not trying to drum up enthusiasm for something just I'm personally passionate about... ...and want you to be as excited as I am. This isn't an infomercial. I'm not like the Sunday morning sham wow guy. I'm not Laurie Grenier from QVC. I want you to see from the pages of Scripture in your Bibles... What the Lord has to say about this and showing you the primacy, the primacy of the local church and to understand it not as God's necessarily only means of working, but as his primary and best means of working and advancing his kingdom throughout this world. So what we're going to do is we're going to start by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we will begin, I'll begin reading in verse 14, 1 Timothy 3, in verses 14 and following. And for this portion of Scripture, I'm actually reading from the Holman Christian Version, Holman Christian Standard Bible. "'I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth.'" Uh, Just a bit more than midway through his letter to Timothy, Paul makes sure Timothy knows why he's writing these things. That's what he says in verse 14. I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know. So that you will know. It's like he's saying, Timothy, there's a reason I'm telling you all this stuff. Uh, And it's not just for the purpose of intellectual knowledge. I'm not just wanting your head to get big. I'm not just wanting for you to know a bunch of facts. It's as if Paul is saying, I didn't go to great lengths back in chapter 1 to warn you about the false teaching that was spreading throughout Ephesus just so you can sit around with others and say, there goes the neighborhood. Uh, In chapter 2, I didn't write about the role of men and women in the church just so that you can impress people at parties. In chapter 3, I wasn't eloquent, waxing eloquent about the qualifications of church leaders and those who serve within the church just so you can have something to say at a leadership seminar. Timothy, pay attention. It's about conduct. Conduct. It's about action. It's not just so that you can know. It's so that you can know so that you can then go. It's so that the knowledge that I'm telling you can be turned into action. Information ought to bring about transformation. And Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but if I can't, I still want you to know how people, not just Paul, but people, that's why I put that version in the outline, the, the, the actual word there is, he broadens the application. He says, I write to you so that people may know how to act within the church. He says, I, I write to you uh, so, that, so that you would know how people ought to act in God's household. In God's household. And that word household, Paul's using a metaphor, he's not necessarily calling to our minds a building. Now, we'll get to that a little later. But that's not what he's calling to mind. Uh, When he says household, he's really calling to mind a a, a family. A family. That's the word picture Paul is using there. Uh, As believers, we're part of the family of God. Uh, The terms brother and sister aren't just Christian cultural stuff. That's not some Judeo-Christian value. That's not Western thinking. That's not an American thing. It's biblical. We're part of the household of God. Part of the family of God. And Paul wants Timothy to know how he and others ought to act, how they ought to conduct themselves in God's family, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Happy Mother's Day. I'm thinking about my mom. Uh, Mom used to always ask me if my friends all jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, would I do so as well? Now, the question is rhetorical, and she's trying to remind me and was trying to instill in me that I shouldn't just follow the crowd. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good idea. So it would usually be when, she would ask, when I would ask her to do something and she would say no, uh, she would uh, write in, this This is like Proverbs 32, if you will, she would ask me, if, you know, if, everybody, if all of your friends jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, are you going to follow them and do it too? To which I would respond, no, and sometimes maybe, and then have to duck. No, I'm kidding. But, but, but it was a rhetorical question. However, the question brings to mind, at least to my mind, an actual bridge. Uh, It's iconic. It's an actual place. It's a bridge I've driven and walked countless numbers of times. And so the question hits home, but so does the illustration. How many of you are Cincinnati Reds baseball fans? Very good. So if you're a Cincinnati Reds baseball fan, as am I, okay, go Mets, go Reds. I always root for the Reds unless they're playing the Mets. But if you're a Cincinnati Reds baseball fan, when I say the number 14, who comes to mind? Pete Rose, right, as it should. The answer is Pete Rose. The number 14 means something to you because of your surroundings. And while the rest of the world thinks the two tall stacks of Great American Ballpark just happen to have seven bats on each of them, we point and we smile and we know otherwise. When Paul writes to Timothy about pillars and the foundations of, of the truth, he wasn't just picking words out of thin air. Timothy is in Ephesus which was home to the temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Something would have come to Timothy's mind as Paul writes these words, pillars and foundation. He would have had a very real picture that would have come to his mind. He would have had to like picture pillars and picture foundations. Chances are his mind would have flashed to the nearest pillars and the nearest foundations that he would have seen. And what other thing would have come to mind than the biggest thing that he would have known that had pillars and had a very firm foundation, which was the temple of Artemis. William Barclay says this about that temple. He says, one of its features was its pillars. It contained 127 pillars, every one of them the gift of a king. And all were made of marble, and some were studded with jewels and overlaid with gold. Now, I've never had the privilege of seeing these ruins. The closest I've come is looking on the internet, and of course, it has to be true if it's on the internet. Um, But I've seen pictures, and I've I've looked at books, and I'm no archaeologist. I am no historian. But oftentimes when you look at ancient ruins, do you know all that's left of them? Pillars and foundations. You look at these pictures of ancient ruins, and, and many things have happened over the course of time. But you know what's sometimes still standing there? Sometimes there's still pillars, right? The roof may be gone. Certainly the walls have crumbled. But there's that firm foundation that was laid in the beginning and there are pillars, at least some, at least one still standing, oftentimes when you look at ancient ruins. <coughs> God has Paul draw a word picture for Timothy of the church, the local church. And that's you and me, Christian. It's not just just Paul's church. It's not just Timothy's church. It's not just Ephesus. But he's trying to instill within Timothy an understanding, he said, this, 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 This church that you're in, this this seemingly small group of people compared to the rest of the world, this is a big deal. This is the pillar and foundation of the truth. It's the very foundation and pillar that is to hold up the truth of God. And then if you look at verse 16, he speaks of that truth. And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit... Seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Praise his name. When Jesus is tempted in the desert, one of his responses to the devil himself, it's it's, it's not to his own sinful flesh because he has no sinful flesh, to the devil himself, is that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4 and verse 4. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17 verse 17, he prays, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Or Earlier in that same gospel, John chapter 1, we read, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Three verses later in that same chapter, John 1 verse 17, says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth Came through Jesus Christ. Friends, the local church is called to something very high and very lofty. When we read in First Timothy chapter 3 that we're to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. We're saved by Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen six. We can't live without the word of God. Food alone is insufficient. We're sanctified. We're grown. We're changed to be more like Christ through the truth. And here Paul tells Timothy that the church, the ecclesia, the local church, is the pillar and foundation of that truth. I hope you feel the weight of it because I think Timothy certainly did. We're to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. Look out your window, Timothy. The next time you walk down the road, you see that temple? That temple, that Artemis, Temple of Artemis? It's a big deal, right? Yeah, well, guess what? It stands for raw, pagan, idol worship of gods that don't exist. You wanna talk about a big deal, Timothy? It's the church. The church, right here among you, the local church, that's our pillar, that's our foundation of truth truth it's an unbelievable word picture that god inspires paul to draw for timothy that we read about today so that we might understand who god has called us to be as the church we're not just bricks and sticks pillar and foundation pillar and foundation now there are other word pictures that the Lord uh, inspires the writers of Scripture to use to show us uh, the importance of the church, the body of Christ. Uh, we can't look at all of them, but I'd like to look at one more today, uh, and if you would turn to Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, beginning in verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I officiated a wedding yesterday. And uh, these verses, of course, come to mind when you're thinking about perhaps your own marriage and especially when I think about uh, officiating a wedding as a possible text to present the couple with in their charge. How often we look to these verses, and rightfully so, to help us to understand how we're to function in our marriages. In this text in particular, how I'm supposed to function as a husband. And I look at this text and I see the high calling And the high standard that God has called me to love my wife. As Christ loved the church. In case you missed that, that's a big deal. (laughs) That's a big deal. Because Christ does a pretty, in fact, not only a pretty good, a perfect job of loving the church. And we look at this, rightfully so, we look at that for the application that we can draw from the text. That we can pull out from the word of God. And then apply to our own lives and marriages. This time... Instead of us focusing on what it means for us as husbands, I want to just stop and look at what it means for the marriage Christ has with, with his bride. Okay? I want to look at, look at this text in that light. So we're told, husbands, consider how the Lord loves the church and, and, and love, your, l- love your wife in that way. And for me, personally, I think about that, and I spend a lot of time then thinking personal application. What does that look like for me at home with my wife? What does that look like for me at home with my family? And that's a good thing. I want us to focus, though. I don't want us to rush past the fact that, you know, husbands will love the wives because uh, Jesus gave himself for, for his wife, which is the church, and we're supposed to love our wife in the same way. Okay, how can I give? I want to stop and pause and look at how Christ loved the church based on the text that we just looked at. So look at verse 25. First thing we see is that Christ loves the church with a sacrificial love. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, okay? When I, as a husband, think about what it might mean to give myself to my wife or to give myself for my wife, and I think of ways I can be sacrificial, I'm always looking back upon the cross and thinking, wow, Jesus ultimately gave, but now how do I give in my context? Let's just stop for a minute and talk about the fact that Jesus ultimately gave it all, right? That Jesus Christ died on the cross for his bride, his wife, the church. So it's easy, it, quite frankly, in a sense, at least for us where we live, to say, Oh, yeah, would you, would you take a bullet for, for your wife? Oh, yeah, I totally would do that. Would you die for your wife? Yeah, I totally would that. Well, we could take Jesus' words to the bank. Jesus did it, right? It's done. Now, I really believe that I would. I hope, I hope I would never be in a situation where I would have to do that. But I really believe that I would lay down my life for my wife. But quite frankly, the jury's still out because I've not been called to task on that yet. Jesus was. Jesus delivered. He really did give his life, his very life on the cross, for sinners like you and me. He really did give his life on the cross for his bride. We don't have to wonder if he'll do that. We don't have to say, oh, that's, that's super romantic that he would say he would do that. He really loves his bride We look back and say, he did it. He said he would do it, and he did it. He gave it all. Verse 26, Christ loves the church with a a purifying love that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That Jesus not only justified his bride, but then proceeds to sanctify his bride and acts in such a way that that we, we, his bride, we, the redeemed, we, the church, might not only be saved from the wrath to come, but then also grow in Christ's likeness. That he sanctifies us and purifies us and cleanses us with the washing of water by the word Verse 28, Christ loves the church with a, a caring, a caring love. Verse 28, Ephesians 5. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. We don't have a redeemer. We don't have a husband in Jesus who says, listen. I died for you, that's enough, you're on your own, I'll see you in heaven. Listen, I died for you, I've taken care of the afterlife, just get through this life. On your own, I'll see you in the kingdom to come. This world is not your home, you're just a passing through, just pass through, sojourn on, I'll be waiting down the road. That's not true at all. Uh, That's not true at all. Verses 28 and following says that husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies... uh, Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. What Christian who's been walking with the Lord any length of time hasn't been through some sort of a trial to varying degrees and hasn't felt, literally felt, the Lord and the strength and the power of his might just holding them up through that trial. Uh, hasn't looked back upon the promises of his word and say, this is what is, this is, what is, is getting me through this. Uh, he is holding me fast. He is taking me through this. Uh, he's nourishing me. He's caring for me. Uh, I'm weak. I'm hopeless. I'm poor. But he's nourishing me. His word feeds me. That's what Christ does for his bride. He gave his all. He continues to sanctify us and he continues to care for us in this life and the next. Christ loves the church with a sacrificial love, a purifying love, a caring love. And finally, verse 31 an unbreakable love. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The fact that we are joined to Christ in marriage, that bond is unbreakable. Unbreakable. He who has saved us, he who has called us, he who has justified us, will glorify us. Do you see that love? Do you, do you see that, that intimacy that Christ has with his church? Do you see the oneness, the relationship Christ has with his bride, the church? It's absolutely undeniable, it's, it's irrefutable. Read through the scriptures and find for me someone Christ loves more and does more for than the bride for whom he died. You will come up wanting. Jesus did many things. He taught multitudes of people. He healed multitudes of people. The Word of God says we don't even know all that he did. That even if we had more paper, even if we had more pens, we would never have enough to talk about all that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. But find me someone that Jesus did more for than his bride, the church. The truth is held up by one pillar built upon one foundation, and that is the church. Jesus is the husband to one bride. One bride. And that is the church. Made up of many different, many different local churches, right? Many different, the members of God's redeemed, making up that bride of Christ, which we are told is the church. I have... One wife, Sarah. But Sarah's not the only person in my life. I've got four children, I've got co workers, I have neighbors, I have friends. And there are uh, certainly appropriate ways to have relationships with all of them, uh, re- regardless of age, even gender. But I've got one, one wife, okay, for those of you keeping score, one wife. Many family members, one wife. Any friends one wife coworkers good how many wa- one wife uh, imagine for a minute and, and uh, track with me through this. imagine for a minute I have a a neighbor we 'll call her debbie and and imagine you 're talking to her and she tells you. How much she enjoys being, you know, she's telling you about the neighbors, and how much she enjoys being our neighbor. And she says, "Oh yeah, the Larufa kids, we, we, I, I love them. They're cute. They're adorable. They're, uh, they're, 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 they're lots of fun. Uh, they're, they're, they're respectful. They're kind. I don't know, something like that. You know, because she sees that side of. But anyway, you know, so she, she talks about how much she loves our kids and how much she, uh, how much she appreciates them and that they play nice with each other and all this other stuff. And she says that, uh, you know, even in fact she. Uh, she hid eggs for them on Easter, and they had an Easter egg hunt. And you, you'd look back and say, oh, that's, that's sweet. That's kind. That's nice. And she'd tell you that maybe she has uh, pets. Maybe she has a dog or two, and she lets our kids play with them and mess around with them and feed them and whatever. And you'd say, oh, that's, that's sweet. That's nice. And she'd say, our, our two families sometimes share food. You know, sometimes share food. If I'm, I'm grilling out, we'll give them some food. If she's grilling out, she'll give us some food. You say, that's, that's sweet. That's 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 nice. And then uh, if, and then she would go on to basically say, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm basically like a wife to Peter. You'd say, that's, that's weird. It just got weird. Everything, do you see what I'm saying? It just got weird. Everything else is fine, right? But there's, there's a line that is crossed when someone starts saying, oh, that's, yeah, I'm basically like a spouse to, to that person, right? That's when it gets, that's when it would get a little weird, right? Oh, we're, we're friendly neighbors. We, we hang out. That's great. Uh, But and we're—it's—it's basically as if we're married. Uh, That's there's a look behind you. There's a line. Yeah, you just crossed the line. It gets weird. People do this all the time when it comes to the church. They look uh, at something that's good in their life, something that God is doing in their life, something that's very good, very helpful, very nice. It's not a bad thing. But then they take it one step too far and act, watch this, act like it's the bride of Christ. This is basically like church to me. And it's, and we're used to saying, oh, okay, that's just a, they're just saying that it's, you know, it's, it's helpful to them. But you have to understand, I think we've seen from the text that we've looked at, that the church is the bride of Christ. It's a special person, a special category. And when people basically say, oh, yeah, that, yeah, it's basically, I like this, I enjoy this, it's basically like church to me. That oughta kind of cause us to pause and say, "Oh, wait a minute! The church is something really special to God. The church is is Christ's bride." And when people say, "Oh yeah," they they bring so in that situation with with a neighbor, let's say. Uh, She is either bringing our relationship, the relationship that I have with my wife, down to just normal, right, just like a neighbor, like a wife, or bringing herself up to the level of marriage, which is not, but either way, that's weird. Either way, that's not accurate. Either way, that's wrong. And ought to say, what do they mean by that? What did that really mean? We have to have that same mentality, I think, when it comes to looking at the church. And we live in a culture, and we live in a day and age where church, church is just thrown around like it's just another extracurricular activity, I belong to the why? I belong to a church, I belong to a gym. Yeah, sure, it's just I got I got I got little I got my hand in all three of those things. But church, whoa. Whoa. The church, according to the scriptures, is something really 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 special and oftentimes people substitute that which is supplemental in place of that which is essential when it comes to their allegiance to the local church. I like vitamins. We eat vitamins. We don't then not eat three square meals. Okay, so there's this, there's essential and there's supplemental. But you know, what, let's just not eat. Let's just not eat meals anymore and just eat on just eat vitamins. That would be replacing that which is essential with that which is supplemental, and it wouldn't really work. Oftentimes, people, when it comes to the local church, replace that which is essential, pillars and foundation, essential, not an architect, essential essential with that which is supplemental here are some examples i don't need to be part of a church i got everything i need in jesus i've got jesus and he's all i need and then they get you down one of those cornering questions what are you saying jesus isn't enough it's like oh there's no way out of that hallway what am i going to say Oh, Jesus isn't enough. I've got all I need in Jesus. And that sounds sweet. And, and certainly Jesus is more than enough for our justification and more than enough for our sanctification. But it's wrong. Jesus designed us to be part of his body. And if you're not connected to the body of Christ, you're just a finger laying there apart from the body that it's supposed to be connected to. I'm thankful for my fingers. I'm even more thankful that they're connected to my hands. Okay? And, 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 and to be part of the body... Means to be part of the body of Christ. I don't need. I don't need the church. I've just got Jesus. That's inconsistent. You know what? It's just me and my Bible. I just have my Bible. I I read it constantly. I read it always. I I read it. I memorize it. I listen to it in my car Uh, when I drive to and from work. While I work out, I don't need the church. I have everything I need in the Word of God. I'm not saying that the Bible is bad. I'm not saying that the Bible is insufficient. I am saying that the Bible says you need to belong to a church because you're part of the body of Christ. And there are specific things within the Scriptures you can't do if you're not part of the church. Do you realize that? There are specific things, specific imperatives that you're going to come across as you read through this holy, all-sufficient, all-powerful Bible that you can't do if you're not connected to an ecclesia, if you're not connected to the church. In Matthew 18, when Jesus is talking about how to deal with the wayward sheep, how to deal with the lost, the person who's lost their way, if your brother sins, go and tell him his fault. If he hears you, you've won him. Great. Okay, if he doesn't, take two or three others along. Who are you going to take? you're not part of a church, you're going to take along. Uh, You, you got a minute, five minutes. This won't take long. Come here, we've got to tell this guy about his sin. Who are you going to take along? You say, okay, but still, there's smaller groups of people. Maybe I can. Okay, well, it says, tell your brother... If he's wrong, show him his fault. If, you, if he hears you, you've won him. If he doesn't hear you, then take two or three others along. If he doesn't, then tell it to the church. What do you do? Just pick it up. Uh, where am we closest? This church. You. Can I just, hey, everybody. I know, a friend, like, who, who do you tell? Who's the local group of believers that, are count, that you're counted among that you say, we need to pray for, we need to call this person to repentance, we need to lovingly go to them and, and lovingly but firmly call them back To walking with the Lord. You cannot do what Jesus Christ would be calling us to do in Matthew 18 if you say, it's just me and Jesus, it's just me and my Bible. Do do, do you understand that? There are things that God calls us to do that we would not be able to do, would not be able to walk in obedience to if we weren't part of a church. It's just me and my family you know what? Uh, it's just me and my family. We have such precious times, just precious times with the Lord as we have our family devotions together and we pray and we sing and we read the Bible. It's just, it's just me and my family. We just huddle up in our home and we put on worship music and we shut the shades and we just hunker on down there. And, and, and you know what? That's all the fellowship I need. All the fellowship I need I can get from my family. Now, I love my family tremendously They hold a very special place in my heart, as they should. In fact, they hold a a special place in my heart above many other people. I mean, after all, they're like like family to me. Uh, However, I think oftentimes people have a higher view of blood relatives than Jesus does when it comes to their relationship. Now, I'm not saying Jesus had a low view of them at all. I mean, certainly hanging from the cross, he made sure his mother was taken care of, right? Right? So it's not that Jesus had a low view of family, but Jesus didn't come to tell you how important it is for you to hole up with your family. That's weird and and wrong. Remember, when Jesus was with his disciples and was told that his mother and brothers were there, he did not brush through the crowd and say, oh, my mother and my brothers. His response was what? Who, who, Who are my mother and my brothers? You know who they are? They, they, they say, he says, um, "Those who hear the word of God and do it, those are my mother and my brothers. That's not him kicking his family to the street. You understand that. That's not him lowering, that, that's not him lowering his val- the, the value that we should place on family. It's him raising, raising the redeemed up to the level of family." Do, 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 you, do you see that? But oftentimes I don't, I don't need the church. I just have my family. It's fine. I don't need the church. I don't need to. I don't need to. I don't need to join up with other people. I don't need to connect myself to a body. I've got all the fellowship I need right here with my family. Uh, another substitute. Uh, it's just me and my and my home group. And I'm talking about a home, not a small group within church, but a a home group that's not connected to a church. And uh, this is one that's uh, particularly on my heart because I don't know if you're aware of it, but there are different networks of home churches that are going on within the greater Cincinnati area and that I come across as I interact with different people, particularly throughout uh, Newport. And personally, I have some experience with this as I was part of a home group uh, that was in many ways like like a church. Um, it met in our apartment building when I was a kid every Friday night. Uh, God used it mightily in my life, uh, particularly in my mom's life, because she grew like a weed from the time in the Word and the fellowship that she That she had there. It was. It was. God did an unbelievable work that 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 was just unfathomable uh, within our neighborhood and within a playground, within a little urban playground. That mom would be sitting on a park bench reading her Bible, look down. Look down the bench, and see somebody else with what looks like a Bible. I mean, how many books do we carry around in those cases with nine pens? It looks like a Bible, and they would talk would realize they have a connection, and literally that would happen over and over and over and over and over again. I literally mean 30 plus people. Within our our apartment development in the middle of Queens. And there was a Bible study that was held for years every Friday night. And we at the time didn't know of any other really we just mom was newly saved. We were nominal Catholics, so then we decided to still go to the Catholic church on Sundays, come home and complain about it, and learn about but the Bible said on Friday nights. I wouldn't recommend it, but that's, I'm just telling you a story. That's, that's what we did. It was wonderful. We had picnics together. Every Memorial Day, we had a picnic together in Crocheron Park. We'd all bring food. We'd play a game of softball. Um, I mean, we were each other's, each, each other's family. You know what happened? Sin entered the camp. Someone within the group was living in a way that was unbecoming of one who claimed Christ. And quite frankly, the group didn't really know how to handle it. You see, hippie church is nice for, you know, love, peace, and hair grease, and hanging out and all this other stuff. And it's good that we all get to gather around a fire with, with, with guitars and, and, and sing praises to, to the Lord's name. But that's not all that God calls us to. And quite frankly, that's not all that is involved within the Christian life. And as happens within just about any group of Christians, someone, someone goes, goes awry, and they need to be called back to repentance. Sin entered the camp, and someone was living in a way that they shouldn't have been according to the Bible, and the group really didn't know how to handle it, because who's in charge? Who has the right to then do that? I mean, they tried. They, they approached the individual, they asked the person to repent, and that's good. What do you do when the person says no? What authority do, do, do they have? You're just the person who brought hot dogs to the last cookout. You have no authority in my life. The Bible says to submit to those who must give an account for your soul, those who rule over you, Hebrews 13. You've got someone who's living in sin and looks back at you and say, you don't rule over me. You know what? They're, they're right. You don't, you don't rule over me. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. We just go to Bible study together. It was in many ways the downfall of that wonderful, wonderful group. And that group is, was great for shared meals and fun times with kids playing together in the yard and people who bring their guitars and, and, and play worship songs, and it was great for an annual softball game, sometimes a weekly softball game in the nicer weather. But, but it gets weird and malfunctions when certain things need to be done that God calls the church to do, and there's no one that can do that. It's just me and my mission. That's another substitute just me and my mission, me and my ministry, me and what I'm called to do. I had the privilege of attending a, a, a discussion group of sorts at Missio Day Church up in uh, Walnut Hills in Cincinnati. And I'm thankful for Kurt Hanna, who's the lead pastor there. And he said some things that were really, really helpful when it comes to how local churches ought to function alongside and with parachurches, parachurch ministries. And it was a really, really helpful discussion. Some people become very involved in an outreach organization or a parachurch organization or other ministry, etc., and they say, this is my church. Uh, th- this, this is my church. Th- this, is, this is like a church to me. I mean, when we're together. We pray together. We serve together. We're on mission together. And that's good. Look at me. That is not a church. Being on mission together is good. But look at me. It is one facet of what it means to be a Christian. And if your whole Christian life, your whole identity is rooted in what you're passionate about doing or fighting for or defending or advocating for, you're missing out. It's mission oftentimes at the expense of maintenance. And oftentimes when people are so focused on, I'm on mission, I'm on mission, we're on mission together, this is our church, we're going hard after God, we're doing this, and and we're all about, and you fill in the blank, whatever it might be, we're all about this, we're all about that. You're busy so much looking ahead. You're all together, side by side, looking ahead at what God has called you to do, that there's no looking around, and nobody's looking at you, and nobody's looking out for you. And the growth, and the help, and the maintenance of the body that could take place in that situation is very, very little. And you say, well, I'm not alone. I mean, I, mean, I mean, in this organization, or group, or whatever, I'm not alone. I'm, <clears throat> I'm connected, I've got fellow volunteers, fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, fellow co-workers, people ministering with me, and we're connected. We are a body of believers. And you're a body, but you're not the bride. You're a body, but you're not the body of Christ that Christ is talking about when he talks about the ecclesia. You're a group of people, maybe even a group of believers, and that's great. So thankful for what you do. But what happens is you are mistaking that sense of homogeneity for community. You are mistaking the sense of homogeneity that you feel because you're all about this one cause or this thing. But homogeneity is not synonymous with community, homogeneity is not synonymous with kinonia, with fellowship. And you're passionate about your thing, but then for you, th- your thing becomes the thing and you run the risk of staying in the way of God's thing. The bride, the pillar, the foundation of truth, the church. And, and we could go on and on and on about what people do and they say, J- just, just as weird as it would be for you to hear my neighbor to say, yeah, I'm basically like, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of like a wife to Peter. You say, that's that That's weird. We do a bunch of things nowadays in and in, in this day and age when we say, oh yeah, this is like the bride of Christ. This is, this is like the church. Like that's like the church to me. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean? People add a deck to their house. That's great. Uh, they make one room into two. That's super. They put in a pool. That's awesome. They landscape their yard. Sweet. But when someone says, you know, I think, I think I'm going to rip out just hear me out. I'm gonna rip out the foundation so I can add some decorative flowers. There's a problem. And I'll give you a hint, it's not what colour are the flowers? Flowers are beautiful, they just make a miserable foundation. Think I'll hack away at these pillars or this load bearing wall and just to change the decor to let some more light in. Not cool. Sarah has a primary place in my life. She is my wife. You don't mess with pillars and you don't mess with the foundation. The bride of Christ, the pillar and foundation of the truth is the local church and she needs to be cared for, loved, respected, nurtured, grown, sanctified, and one day will be glorified when our Lord and Savior comes. Praise his name. So what steps do we take as we close to grow spiritually in God's church? Well, here at Grace Fellowship, we use a 3G uh, kind of, I don't know, acrostic, if you will. or no, it's not an acrostic. We talk about 3Gs. Gather, grow, and go. Um, similarly, I think number one, one thing we could do is jo- pick a church and be all in. We can join the church. We commit ourselves to a local congregation by being willing to be counted among them. And all this stuff that you may read about—I don't know if you read about this or if you're like, "What is he going on and on about it?" But all this stuff about the universal church, the invisible church—it's spoken of very, 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 very few times within Scripture. Uh, When God is talking about the church in the Scriptures, very rarely, if at all, is it invisible. Uh, When the writers of Scripture talk about the church, it is not invisible. And sometimes the things that people use to say, this is about the universal church, it's it's really built upon a faulty foundation and a poor hermeneutic. Uh, When they say, well, look, Paul persecuted the church when he was dragging people out of their homes. And and the church was scattered. They weren't part of one church. Paul was in Jerusalem. There's reason enough to believe that he's persecuting the church of Jerusalem as as they gathered to Judea and Samaria and as they scattered out of fear. I'm not saying that the Word of God doesn't talk about the universal church, but to say that the universal church and the local church, they're on the same level, it's, it's, it's really, really, really poorly founded when we look at the Word of God. And, and church membership and the idea of joining a church is not some new, Western, 21st century way of thought. Acts 2 and verse 41 says that those who gladly received His Word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them doesn't say we're added to the universal invisible church and 3,000 souls were added to them. We say a them, which means a specific group, and we see a specific number that was counted among them. And in so doing, we submit ourselves to the church leaders God has ordained to watch out for our souls and give an account. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Some key words in that uh, in, that cha- in that verse, Hebrews 7, 13, verse 17, is obey those, not the ruler, but those who rule over you. So there's a plurality. So it's not this one high and mighty person who rules over people, but that there's a group of leaders that God has so ordained to lead a congregation, that the congregation has affirmed in that calling that God has called them to do, to do this work, and that they're to be obeyed because they give an account for your soul. I don't see how that happens. In, in, in situations that are not the local church. And usually when I ask people, how do you obey Hebrews 13, 17 if you're not part... Now, I'm not talking about this church. If you're not part of a church, the answers I get are, are, are pretty poor. They say, look, a deer," and, and it's, 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 not, it's not helpful. Join the church. Join the church. Be all in at a church. I, I happen to think pretty highly of this one, <laughs> but, but join a church. Uh, submit yourself to a church. Say, I'm, I'm all in right here. This is my church. This is the church that I want to serve with. This is the church that I want to grow with. This is the church that I want to submit to. This is the church I want to contribute to. I'm going to be all in at the bo- with the body of Christ. It's not just a membership where this eventually you get a secret decoder ring in the mail and you say, yeah, I'm a member of a church. Say, I'm, I'm all in right here. This is the body of Christ that I want to be, be with. Number two, join a small group. We participate in small groups so that we can help one another grow to be more like Christ. In that same chapter, Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and following, it says, Continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So there was obviously gatherings that they had in a big setting, right? Temple courts. And also from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved within that context of, of the local church. We participate in small groups not just because it's our thing, but because we see it as God's thing. It's an opportunity for us to help one another to grow to be more like Christ. And there's that other metaphor that we didn't really get too much today, but number three, uh, we join a serve team. We serve each other because we're, we're part of a body Romans 12, verses 3 and following, Paul says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Do you see that? When I think of myself apart from the body of Christ, it's actually an arrogant thing. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of you a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, verse 5, are one body in Christ. Uh, For me to forget the fact that God has dealt me a measure of faith and connected me to a body and to think that it's just just me and Jesus, it's just, oh, I just found Jesus, it's all my own, I decided to follow him, and I'm fine on my own, we are thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. The context would be let us use them within the body of Christ, within, in this case, the church gathered at Rome. We gather, we grow, and we go to the glory of God because that's what God has saved us unto. What about you? I'm a pretty thick-skinned individual. Um, I think. I, I don't. I mean, people can say things about me; it usually rolls off my back. Typically, I mean, you could you could hurt me. I'm sure. Please, please don't try. Uh, but but uh, in general, I'm a pretty thick-skinned individual. And I, I love my kids. I love my kids dearly. When well, people say things about them, which isn't often. But if they did, it, it gets me a little, um, a little, a little upset. But sometimes, sometimes it's accurate. So I can see it and I can understand it. Try saying something to be about my wife. Try saying something to be about the bride. And I'm not a big man, but I will go down fighting. What is your opinion of, what is your impression of the bride of Christ, the church? How do you speak about God's Jesus Christ, God's bride? What place does she hold in your heart? Whether this is your church or you're just visiting and you got another church home, how do you view the body of Christ? Just just one of a lot of things. Like I got a, I got a neighbor, I got a wife, I got coworkers. They're just all the same. Or do you have the proper uh, do you place the proper emphasis, the scriptural emphasis, a higher value on the body of Christ that not that I place on as a, as a pastor, but that God places on His bride throughout the pages of Scripture? May God add His blessing to the reading and preaching of His Word as we continue to think about these things and uh, continue to ponder the, the value, the high value that we need to place on the bride of Christ that we have been called to. Because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for sinners like us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful, Lord, uh, to be called among the redeemed. We are thankful, Lord, that Jesus married the church and gave himself for her and uh, sanctifies her, and, Lord, will come again and will glorify her. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, that You would uh, cause Your Word to uh, convict us where we need conviction, to grant repentance where we need repentance, and to grow us and change us to be more like Jesus Christ as we continue to think about these truths uh, that are contained within Your Word about Your Bride. And, Lord, we don't think ourselves um, uh, able to love the Bride of Christ Uh, like you do, for you do so perfectly. But would you grow us in that area? Would you change us? And would you glorify yourself in so doing as you continue to purify and sanctify the bride of Christ of which we are members of the body? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.